Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. The secret to well-being is discovering the power that is your birthright. The power to create a happier, healthier life drawn from our own vast internal resources. Join Jules and her guests as they gently guide you to shift your perspective from the familiar negative to the divinely connected. A place that will not only positively impact your world, but possibly shift the planet. It's all right here on Law of Attraction Talk Radio. Well, welcome to Law of Attraction Talk Radio. I'm Jules from beautiful Southern California. I've got a really great show for you tonight because tonight you will hear something that may be an aha moment for you. It's going to cause you to resonate or should I say remember something that you were supposed to be hearing tonight. We have Hay House author Anita Morjani with us and she's talking about her book, dying to be me she toured around with dr wayne dyer for quite a few years and now she is still doing great and feeling good and it's really really an amazing story that will cause you to re-examine everything in your life but first i wanted to let you know that i leave on my trip next week for Africa and then on to Norway. I'll be gone for a month, but I will hopefully be able to record my show so that you can experience firsthand my experiences. I also hope to be bringing you some really fascinating people on my surprise journey. A week ago, I was shocked by an invite to travel with Dr. Sharon Strout on her speaking tour and she invited me to speak too to a crowd of 25,000 in Nigeria and then another large crowd in Norway on world peace. Norway by the way is the home of the Nobel Peace Prize so I am just thrilled to be going to that location and to actually see where the Nobel Peace Prize takes place. Now, here's what's really amazing. Within a week, I secured my passport and visa. I got warm clothes for Norway. I got a house setter for my cats, my mandatory shots, and started a large regimen of vitamin therapy to increase my immune system. Now, all of this came far easier than I ever imagined, which leads me to believe that This came together so evenly, so perfectly, that it's really being divinely orchestrated. And even more impressive, this has led me to do research on where I'm going, and I'm finding out a whole bunch of stuff about Ebola, about Boko Haram, the Islamic extremists who kidnapped all those young girls close to where I am visiting. And I've learned about the yellow fever, malaria, and all sorts of goodies that I never had reason to look at before. 
the information was very revealing and really not so scary when you see what the media is telling everybody versus what the residents are really telling you. So I'm going to be getting some real nitty gritty information and putting it all in the June issue of the Science Behind the Law of Traction magazine with, of course, a lot of pictures. You know, the truth is, we know that the law of attraction works for us individually. But now, as practitioners, we kind of need to put this work to create the golden age where everyone can feel safe and secure, abundant and prosperous. As Foster Gamble said, we are at the tipping point now and more people who understand the power of their thoughts well, the faster the world's going to change. And as you notice, there's so much stuff that's bubbling up to the surface right now. And a lot of us are feeling fear, but if we can feel it and then just let go of it and surrender, it kind of just goes away and we bring back our creative powers into designing a new, powerful, glorious future. So you may wonder, am I fearful about going? Well, truthfully, I got to tell you, I'm going out of my comfort zone. And then I saw this wonderful quote by Albert Einstein, who wrote, a ship is always safe at the shore, but that's not what it is built for. <laughs> Truth is, it's no secret that the greatest treasures are found in the most remote, inaccessible, and difficult places where we must pursue them with great energy and even greater risk. This is true with our lives as well. We must be able to take the risk to fully comprehend the reason why we're here to begin with. And then I got this wonderful message from Neil Donald Walsh this morning, which proved the point again. On this day of your life, Jules, I believe God wants you to know that the fastest way to learn something is to teach it. Do not wait, therefore, until you know all about it or you have mastered what you wish to share before you begin to share it. The world needs more of what you wish to learn more of. So teach, share, help others, and do not worry so much about what you don't know. Worry about what you don't do because you are robbing us while you are waiting to become an expert. And you know, that was exactly what I needed to hear today. The truth is, I'm not an expert on world peace. I only know that I am so passionate about wanting people to know about their power to create. I want to share with people about their power to connect with each other through the internet. Because if we can just touch each other around the world, we discover our commonalities that we each want the same thing. We are so much more alike than we are different. And then when we are united, we use the collective consciousness that helps bring peace, 
prosperity and abundance and health and well-being to all. That's what we are doing on this planet right now. And I believe we are one step closer and we're going to reach it sooner than anyone could ever imagine. It's not doom and gloom. It's about creating this collective consciousness in which we change the world. You know, I know that people around the world do not understand that they have the power to choose to be happy or miserable, even if it's moment by moment. And each moment by moment creates the tipping point for all of us. It just takes a few seconds of seeing the beauty of the earth or seeing the miracles of life or seeing what is going on. Remember, Foster Gamble said that we need to feel the fear to let it go, to get to that place where we can surrender and just get out of the way so that this energy of all that is, this incredible source of energy called love, can do things on everyone's behalf. Remember, love expands the creation and fear constricts. So anyway, I'm off and running and I am so excited about this incredible trip of a lifetime. And because of this incredible trip, I have actually postponed the singles cruise until October 22nd through the 25th of 2015. I have a cruise specialist standing by to take your $100 deposit, which is, by the way, refundable. And we will find your cabin mate or you could even book a single cabin if you so choose. Of course, that, that costs double, but the sooner that you sign up, we have more time to find the perfect roommate for you. And also, it's when you can attract that perfect mate to you on the cruise. Also, we're having our wonderful friend and relationship specialist, Larry Michael, coming on board, who's going to be delivering some powerful workshops on what it takes to attract a relationship to you. We also have a relationship dance instructor showing us how to communicate through our dance moves. That's really fascinating. And we have some other really special love coaches with us who are going to help guide us to understand and to attract that relationship to us. We have a whole bunch of activities planned, so it's going to be fun. By the way, if you're in a relationship and want to bring back that magic, well, this is the cruise for you because this is where you're going to learn how to communicate. So let's take a fast commercial break and we'll be right back with our guest, Anita Morjani. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network, heard by millions worldwide through 38 internet radio stations and in over 135 countries. Come join us on Facebook for your daily dose of inspiration and action that reveals the secret within you. 
You can find us at facebook.com forward slash Law of Attraction Radio Network. That's facebook.com forward slash Law of Attraction Radio Network. So if manifesting $10,000 within the next 90 days sounds good to you, then listen up, because we have a proven system that hundreds of people have already used to manifest tens of thousands of dollars. And right now, we're getting ready to launch a new study, and we're looking for 100 qualified participants who desire to manifest $10,000 or more within the next 90 days. This is a no-money-down opportunity, and we're looking for 100 people only for the study. So to find out if you qualify, head over right now to Manifest10K.com. That's Manifest, then the number 10, and the letter K.com. Manifest10K.com. It's here, it's hot, and it's a must-read. It's the science behind The Law of Attraction magazine. Every issue brings you great articles and in-depth how-tos from all your favorite Law of Attraction experts, authors, scientists, and medical professionals. Go to lawofattractionmagazine.net that's law of attraction magazine.net and we are back with anita morjani who wrote the best selling book dying to be me by hay house i want you to uh, purchase this book because when you read it you get so many aha moments as i did it's very very well written it's very profound and it's a game changer. And again, it shows that science is verifying that something occurs. Instantaneous remissions occur by our thoughts and that near-death experiences are a phenomenon that cannot be explained away as a drug so help me welcome Anita Morjani. Anita, thank you for coming on. I am so thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm thrilled to be here. You know, um, you've got a, a very, very special life experience, and I am so happy that you chose to share this with the world. We are really shifting right now, and, and everything that you wrote in this book is exactly what people need to be hearing. So I, I, I'm, just, I'm just so delighted, and, and I really feel that we're blessed having you here in this world right now. Wow, thank you. In fact, it's given me so much pleasure to see people are actually getting something from my experience. It makes it so worthwhile for me to have gone through that cancer and everything I went through. Absolutely. So to, to lead everybody into the cancer and then the outcome, of course, in the near-death death experience, you go into quite a bit of detail about your life before this so that we can understand exactly where you were coming from 
from, and I thought that was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> yeah, thank you. In fact, um, yeah, a couple of people suggested I do that. Um, um, in the initially, I must say that I was a little bit hesitant about giving away so much of my personal life, as you can imagine. It's like sharing, opening up, and sharing with the whole world. Um, but but one of my friends, um, in fact, the ones who we're staying with, they said to me that um, I think you should give a little bit more about your background because that is so key to leading up to why you believe you got the cancer. And, and then even my, my editor said, we've got, to, uh, we've, we've got to put the NDE in context in the context of your life, so we really need to put some information of your your background and your upbringing. It it I could fully understand where you were coming from, but let's talk about your background with uh, so that the listeners can understand because you really are this terrific independent woman, and um, yet you're Hindu. Yeah. And that you um, lived in Hong Kong. You, you've got this incredible life, but you still had to adhere to your family's traditions. So let's start from there. What, how did that affect you? Um, it always made me feel that I didn't measure up because, um, because I didn't feel that I fit in anywhere. Um, because I went to a British school, I was constantly trying to fit in with my British friends, but I didn't fit in. I mean, I was a different race, different religion. We had different cultural values. Um, so, so I felt I didn't quite fit in with them. At home, I was trying to um, rebel against my parents' cultural values, and I didn't agree with them, so I didn't fit in there. Uh, and then I lived in Hong Kong where the culture is predominantly Chinese and I just loved their culture because I had a nanny who I was very, very close to and yet I'm not Chinese but I spoke the language. And so I never completely fit in anywhere. And, and I think that set me up to feel from a very young age that... Um, in, in a sense that I wasn't good enough, that I had to keep trying. I had to keep trying harder to be somebody that I'm not. And you were, um, your parents were strong believers in um, arranged marriages. Yeah, that's very typical of my culture. I mean, it still happens today uh, where the parents arrange the marriage for their offspring, for their children. And... Even though they do it, I mean, they, they believe they do it out of a love for their children because they know what's best and, and they want their kids to marry people with the same background. And especially when we live overseas, like we being Hindus and living in Hong Kong, uh, and I find that this is the case with many Indian people who live outside of India, they're more strict than the Indians who live in India because, because if you grow up in India, then everybody around you is Hindu anyway and you're going to fall in love with someone, you're going to get married. When you grow up outside of India, your parents are immediately worried that you're going to fall in love with somebody who's not a Hindu. So they do everything they can to prevent that from happening because there aren't 
many people of our own culture around us, they want to do everything they can to prevent it from happening. So they try and push their kids um, to to have an arranged marriage with somebody who shares the same cultural values. And yet you were very independent and even though you wanted to please your parents so much, you really did. Um, you, you just, you got engaged and you just couldn't go through with it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame you, but, (laughs) and and that's your independent. And, and I think you're really, I mean, that independence really builds your character right there. That is magnificent. So, so, but, but you suffered greatly because you had to break that engagement. Yeah, I was ostracized from the community, and then I was made to feel that um, that nobody else would be willing to marry me, at least not within our culture. And uh, what I'd done was, yeah, it was it was considered quite huge at that time. So you being very independent, but at the same time you felt this tremendous burden of what you did that that you. You just were not necessarily um, to be respected. You, you, you didn't understand yourself. Yeah, I think what I felt was that I felt, I guess, um, being independent is who I truly was. I mean, I was, I was not the type of person who would naturally have been obedient and gone for an arranged marriage. But yet I felt that to be that way was wrong. I felt I was flawed because of who I am. I felt that, that I'm not supposed to be this way. Why am I this way? I'm not supposed to because it's not acceptable in my community. Other women are getting married and they're, um, you know, and they're being really good wives and good mothers to their children and they're staying home and they're happy with their lot. Why is it that I want so much more? Why is it that I want to travel and I don't want an arranged marriage and I don't want to stay at home and I want to go out and work and I want to do something exciting? And I felt I was wrong for being that way. So, so there was always, it was like this tug of war inside. Like, do I do what's expected of me or do I follow my heart? But there seems to be something wrong with my heart and what my heart wants. Yeah. So that ostracism that um, was placed on you really put a lot of stress on you and it affected your self-esteem about how you felt about yourself. Is that? Hugely. But I think my self-esteem probably started to get affected when I was at school because um um, because I was a minority, I've always been a minority in my whole life. I mean, living in, in Hong Kong and being an Indian person in a, in a Chinese country, um, being an Indian person in a British school, um, I've always felt like the outcast and I've always felt like I had to really work hard at trying to belong or trying to fit in. So I've spent my whole life trying to please people, trying to be liked, trying to fit in. And so I think my life started that way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So um, you did end up getting married. And it was to a man that you chose. Wonderful man he is. And it just so happens that he's, his parents are Indian and he's Hindu. But, but he's very, um, he, 
he's very similar to me in that neither of us are actually practicing Hindus. Our parents are Hindus, but um, we, he, it just so happened that he also grew up in Hong Kong. He also rejected his parents' um, cultural values. They had tried to arrange marriages for him, and he had said, no, no way, I'm going through with that. And he had told his parents that, oh, I'm going to, I'm not even going to marry an Indian woman. And I had told my parents the same thing in the end. I said, <laughs> I'm not going to marry an Indian guy because they're all rejecting me anyway because I've, I've had this broken engagement. And then we met each other. <laughs> Out of the blue. Uh, well, through a friend, actually. And you met yeah. each other and it was like something connected right then. Right then, from the very first time, because it was just... Just the way we connected and the way, I mean, he has this sense of humor and we were laughing. We were laughing about our culture. We were laughing about our parents. And it was the first time that I'd met an Indian man who actually found humor in my background, in my, you know, in everything I'd done, like my rejection of, of, of Indian cultural values and all that. It was the first time that I found that there was an Indian man who, instead of being horrified, he actually found it endearing, and he and he loved those things about me. <laughs> oh, it sounds like it. Oh, it sounds like a perfect match. I mean, the way that you describe it in your book, how wonderful! What a great love story. So let's take it forward. Um, you were married how many years before you were diagnosed with cancer? Six years. Six years. And um, so tell us what happened when you were first diagnosed with cancer. Um, well, prior to being diagnosed with cancer, actually about seven or eight months before I was diagnosed, my best friend was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And so, um, and so I, I was watching her deteriorate like right up close. I was spending a a lot of time with her. I mean, she was my, my absolute best friend. Mm. And several months after she was diagnosed, my husband's brother-in-law, my husband's younger sister's husband, was diagnosed with cancer. And both of them were deteriorating very rapidly. And both of them were being treated in the best cancer institutes with the best treatments that money can buy. And yet they were deteriorating fast. Um, so when I had my diagnosis, uh, I, was, I was absolutely shocked. I was in fear because I immediately saw it as a death sentence. I, I didn't see any other way. Mm -hmm. So you actually um, fought the cancer for <laughs> four years. I mean, you, truly, you were battling the cancer. I was. I was battling it. And um, I was very fearful when my, when my best friend passed away. Um, the fear of my own cancer just magnified, absolutely. Uh, I just felt that's, that's going to be my fate as well. And then, and then my husband's brother-in-law passed away. And, but I kept fighting. I kept fighting until, uh, well, actually, uh, about six weeks before my near-death experience. I had a full body scan and, um, and the doctor told my husband that I had maybe three months at best. And, and my husband didn't tell me. And this was the end of 2005. By, by this point, um, 
I was, uh, the cancer had spread uh, throughout my entire lymphatic system. Mm. So it was like from, from the back, the base of my skull, all down my neck and down my chest and all the way down below my abdomen and, and under my arms. And so it had just completely spread. And, um, and my muscles were completely wasted. I, I weighed about 85 pounds. And I couldn't even hold my head up. You know, my head was like, it felt really heavy, like a bowling ball. I was ridden to a wheelchair because my muscles were completely wasted. I had open skin lesions. I was on an oxygen tank, a portable oxygen tank. Uh, I mean, I was really, really sick. Yeah, it sounded like you're pretty miserable too. Yeah, I was in a lot of discomfort. Um, I had fluid in my lungs so I couldn't breathe properly and I had the oxygen tank but I couldn't lie down flat uh, every time I lied down I, I would start choking because of the fluid in my lungs so I always had to be propped up um, and uh, and I had a full-time nurse caring for me at home I didn't want to be I didn't want to stay in the hospital I would go in and out of the hospital for treatments, you know, and blood transfusions and things like that. But I never really wanted to stay there for more than one night. So, so I was staying at home most of the time, and um, and I had a full time nurse caring for me. And then w one day on like February the first, uh, two it was February the first two thousand and six, and I kind of just felt. It was just too too difficult to go on. And I just, I was so tired. I was worn out. I was tired. I was in a lot of discomfort and pain. And uh, I told the nurse before she went off duty in the, in the evening, I said, could I have an extra dose of morphine? Because I just want to sleep. I really want to sleep. I am so tired. I was miserable. And so she gave me a dose of morphine and then she went off for the night and then the next morning I didn't wake up as in in bed and I didn't wake up and apparently my body had had swollen my face my whole face was swollen and my arms and my legs and you know I was like completely uh, like grossly swollen and so my husband got a real shock when he woke up and he saw me and then he tried to wake me up and I and I wouldn't open my eyes and then he called the doctor right away. And I was still alive. My heart was beating and, you know, I was still uh, connected to the oxygen tank. So I was still alive, but I wouldn't open my eyes. So he called the doctor and um, the doctor told him to rush me to the hospital right away. And this is the, a different hospital from the one I had previously been visiting. He told my husband to rush me to. It was like the one of the biggest cancer hospitals in Hong Kong, you know, the most advanced one with the teams of specialists and everything. So my husband rushed me there. And, you know, and when we entered there, uh, my doctor was there. And then there was a team of specialists there who were expecting me. And the first thing the oncologist said when she saw me was that it's too late. You know, she saw me and she had this, uh, apparently she looked horrified and she said, why have you brought her to us so late? It's too late. She's, uh, she can't be saved. She, this, she, she probably only has a few hours. She's all bloated. It means that her, her organs have already shut down. Her organs have stopped functioning. And the interesting thing was 
I didn't even realize I was in a coma because I was aware of all of this. You could hear them talk about you. Yeah, I could wow. hear, see, feel everything that was going on around me. Where were you? Were you up here looking down? You know, it's interesting. I, for me, it didn't feel as though I was focusing from one point. It sort of felt as if I just started to expand and expand and like take over the whole space, like, like spilling out, just spilling out until I just encompassed. So, so it was like I had 360 degree peripheral awareness. I was aware of everything that was going on all around at the same time. Wow. wow. And, and it's, it's quite difficult to express it in a, in a sequential way because it, everything seemed to be happening at the same time. And it was like time and space didn't matter. Time and space doesn't mean anything in that realm. But when, when I have to express it here in the physical, it's quite difficult because I have to put it into some kind of sequence. But in that realm, it was like it was actually not confusing. It felt, in fact, like I had this level of clarity that I've never experienced before. And, and so I was just aware of everything from what the doctors were saying to my husband, what everybody was doing, what the procedures, what they were poking and prodding with their needles and the tubes. And they were taking fluid out of my lungs and they put me through a, one of those scanning. They scanned my body to, to, to be able to um, see how, where the tumors were and everything. So they were doing all these things and I was aware of every single thing. And even the conversations they were having outside, outside the room and down the corridor, I was aware of everything. Wow. So how did it make you feel when they said that it's too late? Um, I didn't, it didn't even, um, phase see, I was feeling, it didn't phase me because I was feeling amazing. I was feeling ecstatic, like I was light and free. And it was like, it was nothing like I had ever experienced before. I felt as though for the first time that my struggle was over and I'd finally come home, that I was somewhere where I belonged. Wow. Yeah. And I felt like I was encompassed by what I can only describe as unconditional love. But, but even the word love is just not strong enough because it was a feeling that I never experienced in, in this life ever before. So it was, and it was really, I mean, it was really unconditional in that I knew it was mine no matter what, no matter what I had ever done, this love was mine. It was um, even anything that I could have perceived to have done wrong, um, it I wasn't judged for it. It was all, all I felt was compassion that, that whatever I did wrong was just done out of the limitation and the fear of a phys living through a physical body. So there was just mm. compassion. There was no judgment. How wonderful. Gosh. Yeah. So what happened then? What happened after, um, um, what happened in your experience to make you come back? 
Um, after that, I, I then sensed the presence of my father, who had deceased 10 years before, and then and my best friend, who I'd lost to cancer. And um, at the time when my friend was deteriorating, when she was still alive, because I had cancer, I had stopped going over to see her because it was just too difficult for me to deal with, you know, watching her deteriorate and knowing that I was going to go through the same thing because I had cancer. So, so I stopped going to see her. And then when she passed away, I felt a lot of guilt about that. But when I saw her in the other realm, I mean, all I felt from her was unconditional love. There was nothing. There was just understanding and compassion. And, and in that realm, I knew that everything I did, it was just out of the limitations that I felt through fear, fear of what was happening with her. There was no judgment. And, and the same with my father. All I felt from him in that realm was just unconditional love. There was no more of the, um, the feelings of the cultural oppression of disagreeing with him and defying him when he wanted me to have an arranged marriage. And all that was gone. It's just, it doesn't exist in the other realm. And I, and I understood that our cultures and all the cultural conditioning and everything like guilt and all these things are part of our conditioning here. We don't carry it with us over there. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> so what was the next step after that? Then, um, then I actually started to understand things like um, why I got the cancer. And I started to understand. I could see my life as a tapestry. And I could see how... I, uh, how I got to where I was right now. And I could see how we were all interconnected. It was like, I just understood this, the reasons why I was where I was right at that moment in time. And then I also felt a level of connection with everybody, like everybody in the physical that was treating me, but also with my father and my best friend. And I just felt that we were all, it was like we were all one. It was like I became them. And even the people who were treating me, the doctors, the nurses, I felt that I just understood everything they were feeling. I could feel their sense of hopelessness. I could feel my husband's anguish at the thought of losing me, my mother who was right there, um, my brother who was uh, on a plane coming to see me, I could just feel exactly what they f were feeling as though my consciousness merged with theirs. And it's so it's as though we're all connected. And then I also started to understand that we are magnificent and amazing beings. And, and, and I realized that I just that I had never known this when I was in, the, in my physical body, that what a magnificent and an amazing being that, that I was that had come to express myself in physical life, and I had never known this. I'd always forsaken myself and been smaller than who I was meant to be. And for the first time, I realized we're not supposed to do this. We're supposed to be everything that we are. We're supposed to be as much ourselves as we possibly can. And then... I reached a point where I felt that this was as far as I could go. 
and I couldn't go any further. Um, and if I went further, I couldn't turn back. And my father um, communicated to me that this is as far as you can go. Um, and it's not your time. It's not your time to die, but, but you still have the choice. If you want to go back into physical life, you can go. But if you want to go onward into death, you can go that way. So it's still your choice, even though it's not your time. And at first, I didn't want to go back into my physical body. I mean, who wants to go back into a dying and sick yeah. body? And, and, you know, and I felt that life was just too difficult and not just difficult for me, but it was difficult for my family dealing with a sick person and taking care of me. But then as soon as I made that decision that I didn't want to come back, immediately it was like I then understood that now that I knew the truth of who I am, I wouldn't have the cancer anymore if I chose to go back. Wow. And, and then as if to sort of confirm that realization, both my best friend and my father impressed upon me that now that you know the truth of who you are, go back and live your life fearlessly. <laughs> oh, how beautiful. And you did, so you came back. Yeah, so... Were you healed immediately when you came back, or did you, you had no cancer in you, or... Wow. Well, what actually happened is that um, when I started to wake up, uh, my, when I started to open my eyes, everybody was astounded that I was opening my eyes, and they couldn't you know, they couldn't figure, they didn't think I would open my eyes. And my, my brother was there. He just got off a plane. My mom, my, my mom, my husband, and then they called the doctor and the doctor was really astounded. And, um, and I recognized the doctor right away. I said, Oh, good afternoon, Dr. Chan. And he said, how do you recognize me? So he was really astounded by that because I had never seen him before until entering the hospital when I was in a coma the previous day. So I was in the coma for about 30 hours. And, um, and so they were all really, really astounded. But still, they were cautious. They, they still thought maybe I've come out of the coma, but you know, they, they still thought my body was ridden with cancer. Right. But I was very, very groggy in the beginning. But as I started to come out of it, like a few hours later that night or the following morning, I started to tell everyone, I'm going to be fine. Don't worry about me. I'm healed. So they were saying that, you know, like, no, you know, like, yes, dear, but stay in bed. And I kept saying, no, I know I'm healed. So I was concerned. I was healed. I knew I was healed. But I knew that my body just had to catch up. And I knew that, that physically the results were going to show very, very quickly because in that moment, lying in the bed, I was still completely emaciated. I still had the open skin lesions and, you know, I still weighed about 80 pounds and, and everything. But within four days, my tumors had shrunk by 70%. Oh, my. <laughs> and so they moved me from the intensive care unit to the regular room. And, um, and I was off the oxygen machine. They removed the food tubes because I had been receiving nutrition through tubes. So they removed the food tubes. I started eating solid food. And, um, 
And they, they had told me that because I had these big open skin lesions and they had said that uh, when you get your strength up in a few weeks, we can um, do some reconstructive surgery to, uh, to close up the skin lesions because they said you don't have the, enough nutrition in your body to heal those on your own. But I never even needed the reconstructive surgery. The lesions healed on their own. Um, within three weeks... They couldn't even find a tumor in my body to suggest cancer. They wanted to do a biopsy. They couldn't even find um, a, a lymph node that was, they couldn't even find a lymph node in my body that was big enough to, to suggest cancer. And within five weeks, I was out of the hospital. They sent me home. Wow. <laughs> what did your doctor say about that? Now, the doctor was quite, he didn't know what to write in my medical file. But he was um, quite conservative about it. And he just said, he was blown away. He was absolutely blown away. But he kind of said, okay, sometimes these things happen. You know, cancer, <laughs> cancer is like that. But then Spontaneous remission. Yes, yeah. spontaneous remission. But then what happened is that um, because I, I was, um, uh, I had a lot of trouble integrating back into regular life because I didn't know what to do with my life. I, I hadn't worked for a few years and it didn't feel normal going back to work because I just I was just different now. I thought differently. Everything was different. So my husband told me to to just write, write about my experience just to get it out of my system. And and so I started doing that. I just started writing about it. And then um, my brother found um, a near-death experience forum or a website and he he gave me the link and he said have her look at some of these so I looked and I thought wow these are pretty similar I'd never really heard of near-death experiences before so it was the first time I was being exposed to something like this and I thought this is weird other people have these things happen too and then there was this button to click where it said have you had an experience of your own click here so I clicked the button and then I'd been writing, so I copied and pasted my experience into onto the form and sent it. And then I got a response right away from the person who owned the site who said, wow, this is one of the most remarkable NDEs that we've ever received. And, and I hadn't even given my real name. Was, I just put Anita M. So it was, they then titled it Anita M's NDE. So very shortly after that, the, my experience started to go viral. People started who were reading it started to tell other people, and then they would link it in their emails and or post it on their Facebook. And so a lot of people started to read it, and they nobody still knew who I was. They just started to read it as Anita M's NDE, and an oncologist based here in the U.S. Um, somebody gave him the link. In fact, two different people gave him the link to my story. And so because he got it twice, he then decided to read it. <laughs> and uh, so he was really blown away by the story. But he's an oncologist. He's a skeptic. So he didn't believe it at first. So he got in touch with the people who own the website and told them, can they contact me? He really wants to get a hold of me and talk to me. So they did. And he called me from the U.S. And, and he's, he started asking me some questions. And he still said, it's, it, you know, it's really hard to believe would you mind sending me some of your medical test results? And I said, sure, I don't mind at all. 
So um, I started sending him some of the stuff, the results that the doctors had given me. And he, he called me up and he said, it's really unbelievable. It's actually quite scary. He said, whichever way I look at it, you should be dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, thank you, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he was so intrigued that he actually flew to Hong Kong to go to the hospital where this happened so that he could speak to the people there and confirm it and so that he could um, look through my medical records. And so he went through, he scrutinized my medical records, he photocopied the pages he wanted, and he actually wrote up a report for me to reproduce in my book. He told me, you should write a book. And, if, and he said, let me write this for you so that nobody ever challenges you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so that was quite incredible. <laughs> in your book, you wrote, um, let me get this, because it was the basis for healing, I believe. It was so beautifully written. Um, while I was in a state of clarity in the other realm, I instinctively understood that I was dying because of all of my fears. I wasn't expressing my true self because my worries were preventing me from doing so. I understood that the con cancer was was not a punishment or anything like that. It was just my own energy. I love this. Manifesting as cancer because my fears weren't allowing me to express myself as the magnificent force I was meant to be. That is incredible. And How perfectly put. <laughs> Thank you. And that is the truth. We are all just supposed to be the magnificent force we are meant to be. And that's all. And, that's and all. you that's what you realized while you were over there. And yeah. that's what healed. You also said that you realized that you did a lot of forgiveness work while, while you were fighting the cancer. And yeah. you forgave the world, but there was one person that you forgot to forgive, and that was and yourself. And that was me. Yeah, yeah, because when I was fighting the cancer, um, I was reading all kinds of things, and, and, you know, I was forgiving myself, I was meditating, I was doing all these things. And this is the one key element which I feel is really missing is that people still no matter what we do it doesn't matter we can you know we we can forgive ourselves we can meditate we can uh, work with the law of attraction but until we love ourselves nothing's gonna work oh yes yeah yeah oh chills down my back that's exactly it <laughs> you are so right and, you know, uh, we, we literally are so blessed that you went through all of that pain and everything, but the message to all of us are a couple of things. One, to, to forgive ourselves, to love ourselves, and especially don't be afraid of dying. Yes, and don't be afraid of being yourself. And of that living. Is, and of living, living joyfully. When you love yourself, you choose to live joyfully. Then every time you make your choices, you make your choices out of the joy of life and the joy of loving yourself rather than making our choices out of fear, fear of displeasing people, fear of doing the wrong thing, fear of looking bad or fear of getting sick or fear of ill health. We tend to fear ill health 
more than we actually um, revere good health. You know, we don't, we don't, um, we don't respect our health. Instead, we fear getting bad health. <laughs> that is so true. It's so backward, isn't it? It's totally backwards. That's wow. exactly it. It's really backward. So we fear we fear that we're going to get sick and then when we go to the doctor or the hospital our medical systems and the medical diagnostic tools they're all created to look for illness but no time in our life does anybody teach us how to live healthily <laughs> and everything is just geared towards finding what's wrong everything everything we do it's always about not doing the wrong thing or finding out what's wrong it's never about Let's all do what's right for us or what's good for us or what's fun or what brings us joy or what makes us feel whole. Mm. Well, the message today to everybody is that, that to learn how to love and appreciate ourselves and everything around us just to live in joy. And that in itself will bring us the good health and the thriving that we so deserve. Yes. Absolutely. Anita, I can't thank you enough for coming on and, and sharing your wonderful story. I, again, want to show everybody your book. This is truly an inspiration. If you want to feel good, if you want to appreciate life, you, you need to get this book. It is a fantastic. And you are truly a blessing to this world. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me on the show. And thank you, and good luck. And, and you are touring now the U.S.? Yes, well, I'm kind of following uh, Wayne Dyer, and um, Wayne Dyer has been an amazing mentor for me on this. And uh, so I was just speaking with him in San Jose, and then in a couple of weeks I'll be speaking in Atlanta as his guest. Fabulous. You guys make a great couple. <laughs> Two people I really respect. Thank you so much. Yeah, he's great. And, and again, thank you for coming on. Thank you. And to all my wonderful listeners out there, have a great day. Live life in joy and health and love yourself. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for sharing your energy with us today. We will be back with another great show next week on Law of Attraction Talk Radio. If you would like to see a video of this broadcast, go to LOARadioNetwork.com forward slash jewels.html or send an email to jewels at LOARadioNetwork.com.
Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.